Forgive me, Jesus. Gary, thanks, man. Good to have you back with us um, safely. I uh, hope you get better soon. Um, we are going to continue our Believe series, our series where we're delving into doctrine, ten core doctrines of the Christian faith uh, this summer. And today is all about Jesus. Um, Jesus has been called many things through the centuries. We, we just saw a number of the names of Jesus uh, on the screen. Uh, he's been called prophet, priest. He's been called a king. He's been called a good man. He's been called a great teacher. Some have called him a myth. Some have called him a legend. Others have called him a figment of the imagination. Regardless of what you believe about Jesus Christ, there is no denying that he is the most influential person ever to walk the earth. Born in obscurity, the son of a carpenter in a tiny town in the Middle East, he never ventured more than 100 miles from his birthplace. Think about that. This man who has impacted the entire human race stayed within a 100-mile radius of his birthplace. Yet today, there is more art, there is more architecture, more literature around the world inspired by him than anyone else in all of history. Cathedrals and canvases are dedicated to his honor. So who is this Jesus? That's the question that we're going to pose this morning. It's the question of the ages. Roughly two billion people, two billion people, one-third of the world's population today believe that Jesus is the Son of God, believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. As much as you might say today, well, Phil, this, you know, that's good, but this really has nothing to do with me. I, I don't know that I really need to, to hear this. The weight of who Jesus is cannot be ignored. And a choice must be made concerning who you believe he is. And choosing not to choose, well, that's a choice. For those who acknowledge Jesus' teaching, yet deny his divinity, C.S. Lewis famously responded this way in his book, Mere Christianity. It's the first book that I read after I surrendered my life to Christ. Before I had even begun to read the Bible, I read this book by C.S. Lewis. How many of you have read Mere Christianity? I mean, it can be tough at points, but there are, there's so much clarity in Lewis's words here when it comes to really walking through the tough questions of who Jesus is and should we believe what the Bible tells us about him. This is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing, Lewis says, we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said 
would not be a great moral teacher. Think about that. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil himself. You must make your choice. Have you made your choice? Lewis says, either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Who do you say Jesus is? You know, sometimes even as followers of Christ, sometimes even as long-time followers of Christ, man, we need to revisit this question. You know, life comes at us, and it's just so easy to get into the habit of hydroplaning through our faith and forgetting who it is we are fixed upon. Who do you say Jesus is? I saw an interview this week with Deshaun Watson. He's the uh, former Clemson quarterback. He's now NFL quarterback for the Houston Texans. He was baptized in the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized uh, this week on a, on a PR trip uh, in the Middle East. And he talks in that interview about who Jesus is to him and the forgiveness and the peace that he's found in Christ. And how football, that's what he does, but that's not who he is. That football is secondary. That if he lost all of that, his identity would be firmly planted in Jesus Christ. Over 2,000 years since Jesus walked the earth. I mean, think about that. He's still impacting and changing lives. How do you explain that? Who else is doing that? How do you explain it? Lives transformed, not just behaviorally for a short period of time, but on a heart level, from the inside out. People like myself and many of you who've encountered Christ through the years and were changed for life. Who is this Jesus? There's no more beautiful answer to that question than in Colossians chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles or your, your phones or tablets, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. In my opinion, uh, this along with Philippians 2, the kenosis passage, uh, is one of the most beautifully crafted pieces of literature ever written. The Apostle Paul answers the question of the ages with these words. Count the number of times you hear the word all in this description of Jesus, of who he is. Paul says this, he said, He, the Son, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, things that are visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. 
He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Jesus was fully God. And through him to reconcile to himself, to the Father, all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through Jesus' blood shed on the cross. Paul tells us that Jesus is the Son of God. He answers these questions, the question of the ages. He tells us that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, but not just the Son of God. Paul tells us that Jesus, in our vernacular today, meant Jesus is the selfie of God. In other words, He is the image, the exact representation of God Himself. It's like God who is spirit The Bible tells us God who cannot be seen. It's like he pulls out his cosmic iPhone in eternity past and he takes a selfie of himself and then he brings that image to life in human form as Jesus Christ so that we can see who God is. In other words, if you want to know who God is, what God looks like, what God acts like, how God responds in different situations, you look at Jesus. Paul says He is the image. He is the exact picture of God. Jesus Himself told Philip, If you've seen Me, you've seen who? The Father. Jesus said, You're looking at Him. If you've seen Me, You've seen the Father. Speaking to the Pharisees in John 10, Jesus said, I and the Father are what? One. If you've seen me, you've seen him. Concerning his identity, he asked Peter this. Jesus says to Peter, he says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And it's the question posed to each of us today. Jesus said, who do you say I am, Simon Peter? And Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus confirms his answer with these words. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Jesus said, you're right. I am the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the selfie of God, the image of God, the very representation of God Himself, God incarnate, God in human form. Today we encounter and we experience Jesus, not in person, if you will, as those did who walked with Him in the first century, but we encounter Him through the pages of Scripture We encounter Him through the prompting of the Holy Spirit which resides in every believer, every follower of Jesus Christ who has surrendered their lives to Him. The Holy Spirit takes up residence and prompts us to remember the words of Jesus, prompts us to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We see His character in the Scripture. We see His teaching. We see His compassion. We see His love. We see His interactions under pressure so that we know how we need to react under pressure. 
And as followers of his, he calls us to set as our highest goal to be like him. You've heard me say this time and time again. What's the Christian life all about? I mean, at the end of the day, if somebody says, what is the goal of the Christian life? It's to be like Jesus. Period. And one day we're promised that absolutely nothing will get in the way of that happening for every authentic follower of Jesus Christ. One day we'll be with Him face to face and we will be as He is. The Son of God became a man, C.S. Lewis said, so that men could become sons of God. So that we could become like Jesus. Paul goes on to tell us that Jesus is the Creator and the sustainer of all things. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things, seven times, by the way, in this passage in Colossians, we find the word all. And then we get one everything. But Paul said he is the creator and he is the sustainer of it all. Of everything. He is before all things, Paul said, and in him all things hold together. I don't know about you, but I love that line. Jesus is the glue. And he's the glue that holds this world together. He's the glue that holds your life together. He's the glue that holds my life together. The Greeks had a term for that. And that term was the Logos. The Logos. It's translated for us the Word. It is the principle of divine reason and creative order behind all of creation. John identifies Jesus as the Logos, as the Word. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Logos. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became what? Flesh. And dwelt among us. Jesus is the glue that holds everything together. Now the question is, is He your glue? When you feel like you're falling apart, when you feel like everything is coming apart at the seams, what do you turn to? Who do you turn to? In Him, all things hold together. I tell you, we had a weekend at our house. Um, you ever have one of those weekends at the house where everything breaks? Yeah, okay. I mean, it just seems to happen all at once, you know. And we had a leak under our faucet that went undetected in the kitchen for a little while, and so we detected it and um, ordered a new faucet. And then so I go to install the faucet on, on uh, Saturday morning, yesterday morning, um, a little bit more water had gotten underneath the cabinet and then under our wood flooring in the kitchen than I had realized. And so I lay down to install this faucet. I'm doing under-the-counter, you know, twister. And Caleb's helping me out, and I lay down, and my, my, my foot um, goes over and touches while I'm laying under the sink, touches the, uh, the stove, the oven there, the door, and that I get shocked. The oven, when I do it, just grabs me. So it's like, okay, something's not grounded in this house. And so, uh, you know, one thing leads to another. And ultimately, you know, I 
when, when my life begins to fall apart, I either call Jesus or Mike Rolfe. And so, um, <clears throat> so I took a picture of what was going on under the sink, and I sent it over to Mike and said, you know, what's happening here, man? Help me out. But um, so one thing led to another. Our kitchen's kind of shut down right now. We're afraid it's going to kill us. And so, um, and so we're eating out and that kind of thing. Hopefully I can get an electrician out there tomorrow. But it was one of those weekends where just like everything is coming apart at the seams. And a lot of times that's the way life is. It seems like that stuff just comes all at once and the enemy's just behind it pushing it going, how much can you handle? How much can you handle? Jesus is the glue that holds it together when we don't feel like we can hold it together ourselves. Amen? Paul goes on to tell us that Jesus is the resurrected Savior and reconciler. He says He is the head of the body, the church. That's what this is all about. It's about Him. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Some, you know, sometimes like, what does that mean? So that in everything He might have the supremacy. Jesus came as the perfect man. To die the perfect death because you and I cannot live a perfect life. Amen? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of a virgin, not tainted by the sin of men. He was tempted in every way, Hebrews tells us, yet he was without sin. Therefore, could become the perfect sacrifice for our sin, dying once for all to forgive us. And to reconcile us, to bring us back into a relationship with the Father. He is the firstborn among the dead. Which means that he is the first in a long line of those who put their faith in him to rise again and never die again. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Do you believe this? That was the question that he followed that with Mary. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, the fullness of God, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross Again, Jesus died once for all, establishing a bridge over that which separates us from God. And through his death, through the shedding of his blood, our sin is forgiven, and we are invited to cross that bridge freely. Freely. That's his grace. With no toll to be reconciled to God for all eternity. He is the Son of God. He is the selfie of God, the creator and sustainer of everything. He is the resurrected Savior and reconciler. And finally, the scripture tells us in the end, and God himself tells us that Jesus is the coming judge. Take a look at John chapter 5, verse 22 through 27. John says, the Father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. He says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life 
and will not be condemned. He has crossed over that bridge from death to life. Who is Jesus? And that's the question before you today. In the end, he's everything. He's everything. When it comes to life and death, he's the difference maker. He's done all the heavy lifting for us. We just have to believe it and we have to receive it. Who is Jesus? And that is the most important question you will ever answer in your lifetime. Do you believe that? And if we believe what we say we believe, as we gather and we worship Him week after week after week, if we believe what we say we believe about the Scripture, that it is our authority, that it is our truth, that it is our guideline for life given and inspired directly from God to humanity to get us back to Him, and if we say we believe that, then who is Jesus is the most important question we can ever answer. Nobody else can answer it for you. And choosing not to answer it is a choice. It was Thomas Hobbes, the philosopher, who said this. He said, hell is truth realized too late. Jesus is that truth. I'm going to ask Gary to come up, the elders to to flank the table. No better way to conclude our time together this morning as we focus on Jesus and Jesus alone than to gather around his table, the Lord's table. And as we do that, you have an opportunity to acknowledge the truth of who Jesus is. You've got an opportunity to put a stake in the ground, to make a definitive decision to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you have casually thought about it in the past, but perhaps never in one moment of time definitively given your life to Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to do that today as we draw near to Him through this table. Jesus called all those who would follow Him to gather here to acknowledge His broken body and His shed blood for the forgiveness of our sin. And to do this in remembrance of Him. So as we bow our heads together, I want to challenge you to, as Paul did in Corinthians, to examine your heart. I want to challenge you to be confronted with the question, who do I say Jesus is? 
whether you've never made that decision before in your life or whether you have been a follower of Christ for 50 years, who do you say Jesus is? Who is He to you today? Is He the glue? Is He the one who holds it all together? Can you securely say that you have been reconciled to the Father and you know that you know that you know that you will spend an eternity with Him? Maybe for the first time this morning, you choose. You choose to believe that Jesus is not only the Son of God, but that He is your Savior. Father, as we approach this table, we do it in remembrance of Jesus. He called us to do it. Lord, as he sat with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the chalice and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, my blood, which was shed for you. He said, take and eat. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of me and Lord some 2,000 years later we still gather around this table as those who've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ to accentuate to put an exclamation point at the end of that decision that we've made afresh and anew that we believe Jesus is who the Scripture tells us He is. We believe that the Spirit testifies to the presence of Jesus in our lives. Lord, we know these elements are symbolic. But Lord, there is something special about gathering around this table, something special about acknowledging the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus for our sin. Lord, renew us today. Refresh us today. Regenerate those things in our lives that are dead. May you call them to life. And I pray that in the powerful name of Jesus Christ our Lord.